Please turn your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10. The text of scripture that we're going to study this morning plays a very unique role in the book of Acts. Those events that we just read about, they have special importance not only for the book of Acts, but for the rest of the New Testament, and I would say subsequent history of Christianity. So we will study this text and pick up some interesting details from this text. Probably many of you know or heard of the Berlin Wall. Probably some of you lived through the Cold War years. And this wall was guarded. It was a guarded concrete barrier that physically and ideologically divided Berlin from 1961 to 1989. The wall cut off West Berlin from surrounding East Germany, including East Berlin. The barrier included guard towels placed along large concrete walls accompanied by a wide area that contained anti-vehicle trenches, beds of nails, and other defenses. The wall separated the eastern bloc controlled by the Soviet Union from the West Berlin and Western European countries during the Cold War. The wall prevented immigration from one part of Germany to another part of Germany. Some people claim that during this period, over 100,000 people attempted to escape and run from eastern part to western part, and over 5,000 people were successful in this, yet from 136 to 200 people probably died while they tried to escape from one part of Berlin to another. The demolition of the wall officially began on June 13, 1990. It was completed in 1994. The fall of the Berlin Wall paved the way for German reunification, which formally took place on October 3, 1990. And if you visit Berlin today, you will see that wall. You will see some historic signs uh, that were there for 30 years. So this is very known wall in history. I know many of you in Texas dream about the wall. Uh, <laughs> and we read some news of the wall, but... The, this wall in Berlin was probably the most known in recent history. The events, events that we're going to talk about today, those events that we read about in Acts chapter 10, are more important, even more dramatic than the demolition of the Berlin Wall. There was no physical wall between Gentiles and the Jews, but we see in this text how God demolished the wall that separated Jewish people from non-Jewish people for centuries, and we can even say for millennia. Since the times of Abraham, when God chose a particular individual named Abram and his posterity to be his chosen people, and almost up until this point in the book of Acts, in approximately A.D. 36, so for these years, for these centuries, there was a wall, spiritual wall, relational wall that separated Jewish people from non-Jewish people. It separated those who possessed the word of God and who participated in in covenantal blessings from those nations and those people who never heard the truth and never participated in any blessings of the covenants. Salvation of Cornelius marks a major shift in the subsequent history of Christianity. And today... 
we are gathered here, mostly non-Jewish people, we are the result of that shift. We are the result of that demolition. Acts chapter 10 narrates the inclusion of the Gentiles in the redemptive plan. And in this passage this morning, we will see several features of salvation that will provide us an insight into God's gift of salvation. We will talk about salvation and, and we will pay attention to some interesting features of that salvation. As you probably know, the book of Acts was written by Luke, the one who wrote the Gospel of Luke and often considered as the second volume to the Gospel of Luke. In the first chapter of this book, in Acts 1.8, Luke records the words of Jesus, which he will use as a structure for the whole book. In Acts 1.8, we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And then, then throughout the book, we see how this verse is being laid out in Luke's narrative. In Acts chapters 2 to 6, we see church in Jerusalem. So all events that are described there primarily related to the life of Jerusalem church. Then in Acts chapter 7, we see martyrdom of Stephen and subsequent persecution to the church in Jerusalem. As a result of that event, many believers had to leave had to flee Jerusalem and flee to Judea and Samaria. In Acts chapter 8, we read about conversion of the Samaritans and their acceptance of the Holy Spirit. In the same chapter, we read a well-known story about the Ethiopian eunuch, and uh, we're expecting a salvation of other Gentile believers. Chapter 9 tells us the story of Saul and his conversion, who will be known, that that man will be known uh, to us as Apostle Paul. And in a sense, his conversion inaugurates the subsequent theme for the whole book, namely the church's mission to the Gentiles. Events of the 10th chapter most likely took place somewhat six years after the day of Pentecost. And this is fascinating if you think about it, because we often think of the book of Acts as if it was happening, those events were happening within one week after the resurrection of Christ after the coming of the Holy Spirit, but there were some years between these events. So some scholars think that it may be six years since the day of Pentecost that uh, events that we read about in chapter 10 take place. This story has such an importance for the whole book of Acts that Luke describes these events from chapter 10, verse 1, to chapter 11, verse 18, making the story the longest narrative story in the whole book. And you were, I think if you were paying attention when we read chapter 10, you noticed that events are repeated numerous times. You know, these visions, these dialogues, they are repeated again and again. So this is important story for the whole book of Acts. And as we will study this chapter, we will see four features of God's salvation or four truths about God's gift of salvation. The first feature that we'll, we will notice in this text is this. Salvation is initiated by God. Salvation is initiated by God. Let's look at the first two verses. Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. Cornelius was a Roman centurion who was responsible for about 80 to 100 people. 
His name, profession, and rank imply that he was a Roman citizen and a Gentile. So he was not Jewish. He lived in Caesarea, and that city served as one of the stations for Roman troops and was administrative center in the province of Judea. Later in the book of Acts, we see several Roman governors residing in Caesarea. If you, you can find this in Acts chapter 24 and 25. Keeping in mind that Cornelius was a Gentile, a Roman soldier, and one of those who was considered by the Jews as occupant, the description of, of verse 2 is quite striking. So can you imagine a Roman soldier, a Roman centurion, described in the following way? Verse 2, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. These words usually describe those Gentiles who worshipped God of Israel and sympathized Jewish faith. Similar people mentioned several times in the book of Acts, in Acts 13, 16, and 26, in Acts 17, 4, and 17. So he was a very generous man. He, commi- he was committed observer of many religious practices of the Jews, probably not all Jewish, Jewish regulations, but he belonged to the group that were called God-fearers. So they believed that the God of the Bible, God of Israel, is the true God. So they observed some of the regulations, but probably they were not circumcised. So we read that he prayed to God continually, which most likely means that he observed regular prayer hours. Later, in verse 22 of this chapter, we see this description of Cornelius, that he was a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews. So you've got to be really good for really good Roman citizen, really good Roman soldier, so that Jews would speak really well of you. So they were under the authority of Romans. They hated that. They were always thinking of the revolution. They were always calling for rebellion against Rome. But here we find a Roman centurion he was ex- and who was exceptional. And even Jews were speaking of him highly, were speaking of him well. Nevertheless, in spite of this really, really good reputation, he was not yet saved. He needed to hear the gospel, and that's why God arranged all the events of this story so that Cornelius and his family could hear a saving message. And then we read in verses 3 to 6, about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who, who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius, And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. Let's make several observations. Cornelius has this vision about the ninth hour of the day, which is around 3 p.m., And this information probably is given to us to assure us that he was not sleeping. He was not dreaming. We don't know the content of Cornelius' prayers. Maybe he was asking the Lord to pour out his blessing. So it was probably his usual habit to pray to God. Maybe he was asking about salvation. We simply don't have this information here in the text. But we see that Lord, in his kindness, does something very Interesting. He does something supernatural. 
So he supernaturally intervenes and graciously gives him a vision with detailed instructions. In God's providence, Cornelius was given God's message. He was given the message of the truth. So some people may think, well, it was God's response to his morality. So he was very moral, he was very pious, he was very good, and that's why God responded to him and blessed him. But think about it. He was a a Gentile Roman soldier. In God's providence, he served in the land of Israel. If he would serve in any other place of the world, he would never meet the God of Israel. He would never hear about the true God. He was close to the place in God's providence. He was serving in a place that was so close to the worship of the true God. And God revealed his mercy and Cornelius got to know the truth. So both this narrative and the rest of the Bible testify that it is God who first demonstrates his initiative. Sometimes his initiative is providential. So he providentially puts Cornelius close to Israel. In all places where Roman armies were at that point, and they were fighting everywhere. So, in all, of all places, God put Cornelius in Caesarea, close to the preaching of the truth. And moreover, more than that, Lord intervenes the life of Cornelius with a supernatural experience. Since our time is very limited, we will not read the whole section from verse 9 to 23 again, but we will just pay attention to some, to some details. So Peter was staying with Simon A. Tanner. He was staying in a really nice place probably because the house was by the sea. So sometimes we think that people in ancient times did not, did not enjoy uh, nature and did not enjoy uh, nice places, but probably they did enjoy. So can you imagine this house by the sea? Uh, Peter is there. He came to Joppa, about 37 miles from Caesarea, a few days before. We read about it in chapter 9, verse 43. So he is getting to the roof uh, of the house, which was not something crazy. So houses in Israel uh, were built that way that you would spend some time on the roof. And it was probably a really good site. He would probably see the sea. He would probably dream about fishing. So at that time, Peter is there. So at the same time, God is working with Cornelius in such a way that he tells him that he needs to hear the message of Peter. So why Peter, we may ask. So some Catholic, Catholic friends would respond, well, it's obvious why Peter, because he was the Pope. But... No, he was not the Pope, but he plays a unique role in the book of Acts. It is striking that at Caesarea there were other preachers. So Cornelius was at Caesarea, Peter is at Joppa. And Cornelius needs to go there and invite Peter to come over to Caesarea. So there were other preachers at Caesarea. For example, if we look at chapter 8, verse 40, we see that Philip was there. In chapter 9, verse 30, we know that Saul or Paul was there after conversion. So, for some reason, in God's providence, 
salvation of the Gentiles, massive salvation of the Gentiles, should be, uh, had to be testified by Peter. So Peter was the pillar of the mother church in Jerusalem. Peter was the head of the twelve. People, uh, Peter was the one who boldly preached on the day of Pentecost. Peter was the one who came and testified the salvation of the Samaritans when they received the Holy Spirit. So it must have been Peter to testify how salvation exceeded Judea and Samaria and now become, became accessible to all. And in verses 9 to 16, we read about this vision of Peter. So he's sitting on the t- housetop, enjoying the view, and he falls into, into a trance which uh, some commentators say it is a state of being in which consciousness is wholly or partially suspended. So it's not a mystical trance, it's not a mystical pagan trance, but it's more like a prophetic vision. So he receives this prophetic vision. In this vision, he sees a large sheet with various types of unclean animals. So it's like a Japanese restaurant just, just in front of him, or Chinese. So... Animals that a devout Jew were prohibited to eat. And Peter was invited to eat. He hears the voice that commands him to eat those animals. And Peter, being Peter, refuses to do that. Uh, And he does it for three times. The Lord said, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Right after that, Lord arranged all the details in such a way that people who were sent by Cornelius, they get to Peter's house right away. right after he had this vision, verses 19 and 20. Men who who came from Cornelius asked Peter to go with them, and he agrees to do so, uh, also taking a few men with him. In verse 23, we read this. So he took a few men with him. We, We read this. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. It is fascinating to think how many people Peter actually took with him. So we just read in verse 23 that some men, some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. In chapter 11, after all these events that are described in chapter 10 took place, Peter goes back to Jerusalem, and they they are just shocked. Like, you went to the Gentiles? You stayed with the Gentiles? You are telling us that Gentiles now received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Who can prove it? Prove it to us. So Peter explains them all the details of the story. In chapter 11, verse 12, we read this information. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. So he's taking six men with him, and we, we wonder why. Like, why six some may suggest that these were cardinals. You know, these were the, the men who usually accompanied Peter. But it's probably not true. It is not true. It is not true. They were not cardinals. They were brothers from that church. Something very, very unique would happen in, would happen in front of their eyes. They have to be eyewitnesses. According to the law of Moses, it was enough to have two or three witnesses to testify. So Peter takes twice more than needed. So he takes six people. So this is very, very important event in the history of early church. Salvation has reached the Gentiles, and now the doors of the church were widely open to non-Jews. That's why it was fascinating to Paul in Galatians 2 in Antioch 
was fascinating when Peter would abandon what he just did several sometime before that and would uh, stay away from Gentile believers. So since that time, God would destroy that wall that separated Jews from non-Jews. So salvation is initiated by God. Second feature of salvation, salvation is mediated by God's word. It is the words of God, not works of man, that bring about salvation. Verse 22, we read, Cornelius, a centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So salvation is mediated by God's word. Cornelius needed to hear a message. In other words, words from Peter. Verse 33, now then we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius had a very unique spiritual experience. He had seen an angel. Probably no one in this room ever saw an angel. Yet this angel directed him to the apostolic word. He had seen and heard Peter himself, yet Peter directed him to the words and works of Christ. In our culture, in Russian culture, uh, Christianity often perceived as something mystical. And I think if you would offer a person this opportunity to exchange the Bible to a one, to exchange it on a one minute conversation with an angel, I think unfortunately a lot of people would do it. They would say, well, man, this is just the book, but this is angel. This is from another world. This is supernatural. Many people think that faith is something mystical. It's your experience. It's your subjective mystical experience. It is like seeing God or seeing this spiritual world. But when we read in the story, the salvation is mediated not by supernatural experience or mystical experience. It is mediated by God's word. Many people believe that faith should be based on inner feelings and experiences and not on something rational and objective. Many people believe that faith is what I feel and experience and not what I know and what I believe. But in this text, we see a contrast to such ideas. When angel is talking to Cornelius, he gives him instructions on how to find the preacher of God's word. He does not tell him the gospel. He doesn't preach the gospel. He directs him to the preacher of the gospel. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, we read, So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. If salvation could be achieved by works or merits or by mere belonging to the community of those who worship true God, Cornelius would never receive a command to find Peter and listen to his words. He was moral. He was pious. He belonged to the uh, nation uh, not completely, but, but still he worshipped the true God of Israel. But it was not enough. He needed to hear the word of Christ. He needed to hear the gospel. So this passage teaches us that even externally righteous people are not righteous in the eyes of God and they still need to hear the truth. Cornelius was a, was a moral man with a really high reputation, though he needed to hear the saving message of Christ. That is re- the reason why God sends Peter to Cornelius in order to, for him to be saved, he needs to hear the truth. 
Third feature of salvation, salvation is accomplished by God's Son. Look at the message of Peter, verses 34 to 43. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is one. God, excuse me. I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee. After the baptism which John proclaimed, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God appointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that This is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Look at this message. This is a very good presentation of the gospel. Jesus is at the center of the sermon. Salvation is all about Jesus. Peter preaches about the life of Christ, about his death on the cross, his resurrection, his future second coming with judgment, and his identity. He is the Messiah. He is the promised anointed son of David. He was predicted by the prophets. He he connects the Jewish faith of Cornelius with the current revelation. He says, all the prophets, all the prophets, they testify about him. In order to be saved, the person needs to know certain truths about Jesus and confess him as Lord. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. His Lord was Caesar. But Peter called him to confess Jesus as the ultimate Lord of life. In the book of Acts, we find this message in chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. In chapter 17, we see the sermon of Paul in, in uh, Athens, uh, Acts 17, 30, 31. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent because he has fixed the day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So salvation is accomplished by the Son, and Cornelius needed to hear that truth about Christ. And finally, in this chapter, we find the fourth feature of salvation, and that is salvation is authenticated by God's Spirit. Salvation becomes known. It is authenticated. It is, becomes obvious through the work of of the Spirit. Verses 44 to 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. 
All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit has been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for those to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Salvation of Cornelius and his family became evident right away. The Holy Spirit of God fell upon those who were listening to the words of Peter. And we see manifestation of the Spirit. In those days, they needed Peter and and those men who came with him. They needed to know right away that, that, that this new group are actually new converts. That they became new creation. That they became people of God. That they became Christians, they, 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 salvation actually took place in their lives. And that's why we see this visible manifestation of the Spirit. It was God's plan of salvation that it will be evident right away. Some scholars call it mini, mini Pentecost, like a miniature or a small version of the Pentecost. We see that in the book of Acts several times. We see that in chapter 8 when the Holy Spirit comes when apostles arrive. Holy Spirit comes upon Samaritans when apostles arrive. And now we see that Holy Spirit comes upon Gentile when apostles are there. So, and that will be, that will demonstrate to everyone that they are in the same group. They belong to church. They belong to the Jesus movement. So they are one people of God with the Jews. So, Some of these events that we read about, they are not normative for every age. So today when a person comes to Christ, we don't see exactly the same what Peter and brothers from Joppa were able to see. So we don't see this supernatural manifestation of the Spirit, but what we need to see is the work of the Spirit in the life of a person. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, we read, But if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. So if you don't have any signs that the Spirit of God is in you, then you have to question your own salvation. In Galatians chapter chapter 5, verses 22 to 24, we read about the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So salvation is always visible. It is always authenticated by God's Spirit. So in that story, it was supernatural manifestation of salvation. So in our lives, it is still important to see some fruit of the Spirit. You know, some people say that, you know, salvation is a very personal thing. You know, it is my personal thing. It is my relationships with the Lord. Uh, you can't judge my heart. You don't see my heart. Uh, it is just very personal. It's just very mystical. It's just me and the Lord. Uh, you cannot make judgment about my salvation. You cannot question my relationships with the Lord. But when we read the New Testament, the marks of a Christian, the marks or, or characteristics of a new creation, of new man in Christ, they are pretty objective and simple. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We have other lists in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5, in 2 Peter 1. This is pretty simple. Do you have love in your life? Do you have joy? Do you have patience? Do you have kindness? Do you have goodness? Do you have faithfulness? Do you have self-control? If you don't if you don't have those things then you have to question whether your faith is authentic whether you possess the spirit of god whether the spirit of god is in you because if he is in you he will change you he will transform you so he always authenticates authenticates salvation people change slowly but they change If the Spirit of God is at work, there are changes. So this event was significant for redemptive history. The the fruit of the Spirit was visible right away. But in our lives, it, it works differently. But we need to see this confirmation from the Spirit of God in our lives. Others have to see this confirmation. So in this story, we noted four features of salvation. We noted that salvation is initiated by God. Salvation is mediated by God's word. Salvation is accomplished by God's son. Salvation is authenticated by God's spirit. Let us talk about ourselves. Let's talk about us. So today we have this privilege to worship God. We have privilege to express our gratitude that He was so kind and he allowed us to hear the saving message. He opened our eyes to the truth of his word. His son died in our place and his spirit gave us new life. And this is the reason to worship. It is the Christmas season and probably the best time of the year to think about Christ and your relationships with him. The best time to tell others about Christ and about the true meaning of Christmas. So we should ask ourselves, did I experience This God's gift of salvation. So Christ came to this world to fulfill the prophecies, to be this anointed Messiah, to be this long-expected Savior. And He died in the place of sinners, and He was raised by God because He was found perfect. And now He extends His gracious forgiveness to all who believe. So did you experience this God's gift of salvation? Do you know people who do not, did not experience this gift and you can share this good news with them? So salvation is initiated by God and you can think about your own story, about your own life and praise God that once He found you. You were lost and now you're found. Once You were ignorant of the truth. You were ignorant of God's word. And God was so gracious. And this word was preached to you. You heard the the word of truth. Jesus Christ, when we were sinners, came to this earth and died in our place. Holy Spirit lives in us. And he creates his temple in us so we can have a life with God. God truly became Emmanuel, God with us. So he lives with us not only corporately when we gather together as a church, but also individually. Because 
This is the new covenant blessing. We have the Spirit of God. What a wonderful, what a wonderful God. What a wonderful gospel. So He made us unworthy sinners, His children. And He allows us to participate in this salvation. So we got to be thankful to Christ for what He did. Remember this truth about salvation when you will be checking your own heart, when you, will be sh- you, when you will be sharing the good news of salvation with others. Let the name of God be glorified as we share good news about his marvelous salvation every day and especially this Christmas season. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so thankful to you for the wonderful salvation that you accomplished by Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you found us in this world, in this dark world when we pursued our own desires, when we, were, when we were enslaved to our sin. You destroyed these chains of sin and you gave us liberty, you gave us freedom. We're so thankful that you first, as a good shepherd, reached out and you ran to find us in this world. We're thankful for the word of God Many people who lived and now live never heard the word of God. And yet you gave us this privilege to know the word of God, to have the word of God in our own language. You gave gave us the privilege to touch the riches of your revelation. We're thankful for Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is the Lord of all. And we ask that he would be Lord over our lives that every area of our life would be submitted to His Lordship. We thank You for the Spirit of God, for this wonderful blessing that You testify within us that we possess this new life. We're thankful for the transforming work of Your grace, transforming work of the Spirit. And Lord, we ask You that we would never forget what You have done for us. So we would be thankful Christians who would rejoice and who will share this good news with others. May your name be glorified in this. Amen.